Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. I was out of town for work. I used to work for Walt Disney Imaginary, and I traveled a lot to Florida. And Brian would check in on my house when I was gone. So he brought Daryl over there one time when he was checking on the mail. I just happened to be riding with Brian. And he says, come on in. I says, no, I'll wait for you. He says, no, come on. I said, just go get the mail, put it in the house. Let's go. I'm hungry. We wanted to go get something to eat. So he said, no, no, no. He insisted. He said, come on in. So I walked in the house and I went, whoa. And uh, I saw this couch that we're sitting on and a lot of other antique furniture. And I went, wow, because I love antiques. And I was very curious to know who lived here. And so Brian told me, it's my friend. Her name is Susan. And he says, uh, and that first thing I said, is she single? And he said, yeah, she is. I went, okay, Brian, I'm waiting. <laughs> That's kind of how that happened. And then I, I eventually did meet Susan. And um, we had dinner at a Thai restaurant. It was our favorite food. And we must, she talked constantly for about two hours. Right? Go good thing or bad thing? Oh, oh no, good. Thing, it was yeah. a great conversation. <laughs> I'm a good listener. <laughs> I don't think he, I can't say I talked for two hours straight. Okay. Hour and a half then. What happened was, Brian said he wanted me to meet Daryl, and my mom had just passed away, so I wasn't trying to get any relationship and I'd also decided that I wasn't going to go out with anybody that I really wasn't interested in just to say I went on a date because that was more work for me. So we talked on the phone and Daryl said, do you want to go to this party next week, my friend's birthday party? And I said, sure. And I said, okay, I got a week to lose 10 pounds, get my hair done, go find an outfit. And he said, I told him I had to go out of town the next day to for travel to Florida, but I really didn't. And he says, okay, I, I, he says, what are you doing tonight? And then I knew I was stuck. And I said, because we want to go out for dinner tonight. And so that was the first time that I just said, this is me. You know what? I'm not getting my hair done. I'm not putting on any makeup. I'm going to put on whatever I have in my closet. And this is me. So... That was the first date without prep. And we went to a Thai restaurant, like he said. And we talked, and we talked about our families and our parents, and his mom sounded a lot like my mom. So then, he was, it was the first time, on that first date was the only time he opened the door for me. So I'm like, oh, he's really a good guy. So I uh, said, oh. So we went on our date, and, we came, and he brought flowers, too. So he did all the right things. He opened my door, he brought flowers, and we went to Thai food. And when we came back home, after I, I walked to the house and closed the door, I said, I'm gonna marry him. And that's honest to God truth. 
for you, what was it like that first date? Actually, it was perfect because I don't like put on. I can see through it like a, a window. Uh, it's phony and I've had enough of that in past relationships. And I just wanted someone very real. And she was very real. And I went, okay. I said, there's possibilities here. Possibilities. Okay. How long did it take to turn those possibilities? Too long. No, I'm just kidding. No, she's not kidding. Well, we dated. I moved a little slow he for her. He was slow. We dated, and then about uh, four months later, there was a reunion at my high school in San Francisco. And I said, do you want to come with me? And he said, yes. I said, well, what do I call you when we go? And he said, I'm your boyfriend. So I must have said boyfriend about 100 times. This is my boyfriend. This is my boyfriend. So we came, <laughs> to, we came to San Francisco. He met. He had already met my family before. And he went to my high school reunion. So then we dated. That first Christmas, our family thought, oh, maybe this is something special. No engagement. The next Christmas came, and I thought that, you know, my friends are like, what are you gonna get him for Christmas? And I said, oh, I'll buy him a shirt or something. And my friend from work said, no, you gotta get him some tools. He's a real man. So I went to Home Depot and got him some tools. And so he happened to call me at work that day and wanted to go to lunch right before Christmas. And everybody said, he's gonna propose to you. So he got some turkey burgers and we went to the park and he had this big box. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm like digging through the boxes. They were measuring cups because I used to make cheesecakes for everybody. I had like a little business and I never used a measuring cup. So I guess he watched me, he goes, she needs measuring cups. So I guess he found a deal on measuring cups and he brings all these measuring cups, all these sizes of measuring cups. And I bet wanted to throw them. So I had to go back to work. And all my girls were like, and I go, no, I got measuring cups. And he thought, he was from the heart. He thought he was doing something special. I don't even think I finished the lunch <laughs> at the park. <laughs> so we go back to work and I had, you know, then Christmas comes up, Christmas was coming. I knew I had this gift for him. And so we were gonna go to San Francisco for my family. The day we were leaving, he, we get ready and he uh, comes to get me and he says, I have a box for you. And it was a, two different gifts. One was another big one and one was a small one. So I opened the big one first and it was luggage because he said, your luggage broke. And I'm like, oh my gosh, luggage, really? Then I opened the small box thinking, this is gonna be an engagement. No, it was a necklace from his friend's wife she had made. So I about really, really was ready to cry. So I had attitude. So on our way to the airport, I'm thinking, okay, so we get to San Francisco, go to my family's party, and they saw my look on my face when we walked in and everybody gave him dust. Like, okay, this is the second Christmas. You know, I was kind of upset. So we leave, come back home, and he said he can't, he said to me, no one's gonna tell me when to propose to you. I have to do it on my time. So a few weeks later, he calls me at work and I was kind of had given him dust. And he goes, what are you doing today? I said, I'm busy at work. He goes, let's go to dinner. So we go to the first uh, restaurant we went to, or the second restaurant, it was the Derby, which was his favorite steakhouse res uh, restaurant. So we go there and we're sitting there and he goes, will you marry me? 
And I said, are you for real? And he goes, yes. I go, are you ready to call my dad and ask him? And he said, yes. So that's what happened. But he said, no one's going to tell me when to propose. I know your family was mad at me, but I have to do it on my turn. Even the little kids gave me dust. <laughs> Everybody gave him dust. They really <laughs> liked him a lot. And it's all compatibility, but yeah, they gave everybody gave him dust. I was gonna be steadfast uh, doing it the way I wanted to do it. Uh, I saw the anticipation, uh, her grandmother, <laughs> her uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-laws and just kind of looked at me with a distance and walked by and he wouldn't speak. And I went, wow. So I didn't care. I'm a very adamant person when I want what I want, when I want it. And I knew her anxiety too, because she talked to one of my good buddies. He says, I don't want to get in the middle of this, but I went, okay. I said, you stay out of it too. I said, this is my, my gig, if you want to call it that. And um, I said, okay. I said, there's a wonderful, good quality woman here. Don't piss her off so bad to where she just walks away. And I said, okay, let me do this. I'm a very careful planner and I take things very slow. And I wanted to make sure that um, I was doing the right thing here. How old was I? I don't even remember. Old enough to hurry up and get married. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my mid-thirties. Yeah. Ah, so I must have been 41, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when um, we told my dad I was, I was raised Catholic. And when we were getting married, I said, or maybe before, when I think I met Daryl, I said, he was married before. My father said, it's okay. You know, he says, he's a good guy. I like him. And then when it got time to plan a wedding, the Catholic Church has issues with people that are divorced. And that's how I was raised. And I said, well, we're not, we don't have to get married in the Catholic Church. And my father was a little bit upset. And I said, it, it doesn't really matter. We were able, though, to find a church that was... Um, Call it, it was an antique, beautiful, 102-year-old church. And we were able to get a Catholic priest to marry us, along with my friend's father, who was a Christian uh, minister, who I wanted to marry us anyway. So we had the best of both worlds. I told my dad, don't worry, it'll happen. So we had both Catholic priest and, you know, Christian minister that married us. So it all worked out. Because, you know, at first I assumed that we were going to get married at the church that I grew up in but they had too many restrictions and rules and we knew when we wanted to get married, like within six months, and they wanted, they didn't have, you know, they wanted us to wait a year and we weren't doing that. You know, when you experience a sour relationship, you, you know, it was, it was, you know, a little painful. So I said, I don't want to go through that again. And I was very careful about the kind of person I wanted to be with. And Susan fit a lot of the wonderful criteria that I had put, set the bar up pretty high. And, but that antique furniture is what caught my eye. I said, we have something in common. Well, my friend, my, my friend from college, and we call him Brown, 
he was the first person to meet Daryl when I our first few dates. And uh, when we went to Daryl's house, he walked in and there was like an old antique tub in the yard. And then Daryl's house had antique furniture and Brown's like, Lamont, help me put the tub on the truck. He goes, oh my gosh. He goes, if you have kids, I'll never have anything new. And so, cause he had antique furniture too. And I said, well, if we ever have to have an estate sale, we'll make a whole bunch of money compared to the modern day furniture. So that <laughs> was a joke. And so they didn't know, Daryl didn't know that my friends and I called him Fred Sanford. And so he didn't find out that until the night before we got married. So my friend Brown was the one who, you know, started that that uh, little joke, Fred Sanford, because, you know, Daryl's father was a contractor and kept a lot of things and always had a lot of good materials around to help or to, re you know, rebuild things, you know, so he didn't throw away too much. Well, like when Susan's house was broken into, uh, she was so upset. They broke the windows and, she, and so forth and so on. And she says, I got to rush home today and I got to meet a locksmith. I said, for what? And she told me. I said, I'll fix that for you. So I rekeyed her whole house, put new locks on and fixed the window and made it pretty hard for people to get in. And I think that left an impression upon her. I called my dad and said, Dad, he could fix stuff. So that worked out. Because a lot of people don't do that anymore. No, they call a handyman. And Daryl was a handyman. He had, he had anything and he could, you know, do concrete work, electrical, you know, painting, everything. So I was very happy. My parents, there's six kids in my family and my parents were together till my mom passed away. They had been married uh, two weeks shy of 40 years. My mom died um, early. She was 59 of uh, uh, breast cancer. And so they were married and were great, you know, and raised us and had our house was always open to anybody who would come over. So we had a big, big extended family. So my father, you know, um, he had held down a lot of different jobs and traveled on the weekends too. And my mom, you know, held down the house, but then my dad would cook us breakfast on Sundays and he would braid our hair too and he could go to any of our activities if he was in town. So they, you know, they supported each other. I looked at my mom and like, we were best friends and role models. So I saw how she had to multitask and handle six kids without, you know, 10 TVs and remote controls and 10 cars. It was a lot, you know, simple life. But she always supported my dad and she loved us and did what she could to nurture us. And, you know, we learned how to do chores and work around the house and help each other. So very loving environment, very supportive. And when my mom dad died, my, mom, my dad always said, I had one wife and they loved each other, you know, and that was one of those admirable relationships that people look up to. And so I never saw any negative thing, just support and love. My dad had passed away in 1977 and they were together all the way up until then. They had a very long marriage, a very happy marriage. We had a traditional home. There was five of us and plus our grandmother lived with us. So we learned to do a lot of sharing. We did a lot of work around the house. Uh, we had turns to do the dishes and, you know, just a very traditional home. Uh, my dad did construction, as Susan pointed out earlier, what well, he taught us. 
how to do that. Now, I'll never will forget my dad. I did something for him. We were putting in a new floor, and he says, oh, you got a good pair of hands there. You're a good little mechanic. And he says, let me show you how to use your hands, son. And I literally show you how to save hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I tell people that story, and I said, my dad was wrong. I said, I've saved over a million dollars, you know. <laughs> but one of the best things I think I could learn, and those are the things I was teaching Justin. So it was really a good father-son uh, relationship when we were had tools in our hands and I was teaching him how to fix homes and doors and windows. He put in new locks at Susan's father's house. Uh, and he was so proud of that. And I showed him, he was, how you do it? I just needed to show him once and he had it. So it was, a, it was a really quite an accomplishment and a thrill for him to do those kind of things. And I said, well, you can pay somebody $300 to do it or you can do it for $6, you know, just for whatever the lock costs, you know. So it was um, a wonderful childhood. I was the youngest out of five. So I kind of got, kind of bear the brunt of everybody picking on me, I guess you might want to call that, but I learned a lot from my older siblings. So yeah, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful upbringing. I was the, the middle child out of the six. So I took care of the younger three. And then I, you know, my brother and sister were off to college. So I was, they called me the little mother. So even my friends in college always called me that too. So I always had that nurturing, you know, mothering instinct even before I became a mother. I really didn't see a challenge. I saw that marriage is give and take. I gave Susan respect, she gave me respect. We didn't have a problem with that. We do have our spats, but we talk about And they're never so serious where, you know, we just explode or anything like that. We, everyone has differences. But I think the key to the differences is being able to just talk to one another, let that other person talk, you listen, and then you talk and they listen and get a basic understanding of feelings. Daryl always says, you are you and I am who I am because I'm more of the aggressive one. Get it done, why not? I'm a, was a, I'm a project manager, so you know I always knew how to have a task and complete it. And Daryl, you know, was more on the reserve, you know, and, and more calculated. And his, you know, I was, I'm kind of abrupt. So there is that difference, <laughs> but it's a, it is a good way because we're not the same. So, you know, I just said I knew what I had to do to handle the household and all the extracurricular activities and all the things that, you know, Justin needed to go to and be, I knew all the teachers, you know, that's just what women do. You know, we're nosy, busybodies. So that's what I was and who I am. Can't change that. We got married in July of uh, 1995, and we had Justin September 1996. So within uh, a year, a year, within the first year, we had Justin. It was, it was beautiful. It you was know, something that we always, you know, wanted. I always yeah. wanted to be a mother. And so we hadn't, didn't have any problems getting pregnant. And, you know, the pregnancy went kind of smooth, and then I got sick at the end, and Justin came early. And I remember he was a well baby trying to grow. My best friend from high school happened to be the doctor on call. So she delivered Justin. She's who I wasn't even supposed to be at that hospital. And then when I got time to come home, to bring him home, they said, okay, you can go home now. And I go, but wait, my 
my husband works. They go, we never close. He can come whenever he wants because we were afraid. It was when they were having those shootings on the freeway. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, someone going to... That was the most stressful yeah. ride home I had ever, wanted... ever experienced. Yeah. So we, was, we were, you know, living out in, you know, out in Monrovia, but Justin was born in Los Angeles. It was in 1996, and uh, they were shooting out windows on freeways. You know, I, we were afraid. I just wanted to stay in the hospital. I thought we could live here for a little bit because we weren't ready. He came, Justin came early. So two months early, there was a lot of things we didn't do and have ready, but it worked out. So we went from having a six foot two, healthy, strong, strapping young Renaissance man who was selfless and helpful and compassionate. He loved the arts and we knew that from an early beginning. And I get a call from him, regular call. And he said, Mom, I'll see you later. You know, Molly's coming home from work and from school with me. And so I'm at work and uh, get a call within 30 minutes saying something happened to Justin. Come quick. And I just screamed in the office and I ran out. And he was swimming at swim practice at school. And um, up at that whole day, perfect fine. And he had a condition that we didn't know about, and it's called um, cardiomyopathy. And he went to the side of the pool and went under, and they pulled him out and tried to revive him. And I called Daryl as I'm in the car trying to drive across town and call my sister, and my phone is just blown up. And I get to the hospital, and there's 100 people out in front of the hospital and ran in. To, you know, the doctor got to me before. He had already told Daryl that Justin had died. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I was like out of you know, out of body. And so after we just, you know, went through the motions of losing somebody, um, I had to go outside and tell all of his school and the classmates that he had died and the social media went, it was just like crazy. And then it's like, what happened? So, you know, we, 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 you know, our whole life goal was to be, to get married and have parents, be parents. And when you're a child that you love, so dearly and seemed seemingly healthy, died like within an instant, it just changes you. And I remember talking to the coroner for hours and days, like, why didn't we know? Because, you know, I wasn't a helicopter mom, kind of, sort of, for certain things, but we took Justin to the doctor for everything. And so not knowing that he had this, and the coroner said, you couldn't have prepared or prevented what was going to happen. So... You know, we had this massive funeral, multiculture, and all these people came up to us after with these stories about Justin and I'll, you know, let Daryl share how what our mission is now. But, you know, every day I cry. And people look at his picture and I'm just like, oh my gosh, he was a gorgeous, handsome kid, very talented, no training, artist, singer, dancer, actor, had a SAG card. It all came through him. And one thing we can say as parents, and we always say it, is we let Justin be who he wanted to be. Had we tried to force him, he said he, a few months before he died, he goes, Mom, it's hard being me. I'm 6'2", I'm black, and I don't play football or basketball. I'm a swimmer, and I love the arts. And we always knew he wanted to be an architect. So we're like, you have to be who you have to be. And it was a struggle sometimes because 
when people would meet Justin, they'd be like, oh, what position do you play? He's like, I don't play a sport. Or you like to draw, that's weird. You know, he would get some challenges, but he also stood his ground. And then, as we said, we've learned all these stories about Justin. And for his, he, he, didn't, he, gradu- he died junior year, second semester, so he didn't, they wasn't there for his graduation. And over 100 of his classmates wrote their college essays about him. Then all these stories start floating and they still come in about how Justin changed them and helped them and made them be better. And as those kids went off to college, just last night, a girl said, I go to USC and I think about Justin every day because he should be up here with me. And that's where he wanted to go too. And I said, well, he'll have to be there with you like he's with us. For kids who changed their majors to what their passions were. And that's one thing, we let Justin follow his passions. We didn't try to, you know, he was always outside the box. So we didn't put him in the box. We let him be who he wanted to be. So it's changed us. I mean, you know, you want, I want my baby back. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? So we have to go go through life, you know, without him. But we're proud of who he was and how we raised him. And, you know, you know, he'll have to live through us. And so we're trying to realize the dreams that he had. But it's life-changing, and with any kind of loss, it's unique to that individual. Even though Daryl and I were Justin's parents, how he feels about it is different than me. Everybody has their unique relationship with that loss. So people can't, you know, they've told us, okay, stay busy, keep busy, be strong. Come on, try to drop one of your kids. Be strong. So you have to go through this grief and loss our own way. There's no timeline or limit. I'm a changed person. I wish I was who I was before February 22nd, 2013. I'm not. I'm never going to be who that person was, but I'm going to go through my life every day, talk about my child. I'm always going to be Justin's mom, and he's forever going to be in my heart. But it's painful, you know? And so I'm, you know, I don't hold it in. I tell the truth when people say, How are you? I say, I'm bad today. Or, you know, I'm honest with the kids and us being open about our grief. I'm telling you, it's helped everybody. They want to understand what's the right thing to say. We don't know what to say. We want to call you, you know, all these things. But to hear the stories of how Justin was and who he was and what he did selflessly, he wasn't trying to get awards. He wasn't trying to do all these things. It makes my heart feel good that we did the right thing. And we are great parents for him by letting him be who he wanted to be. I did... Um, go to this class on grief recovery and I realized that I'm the mother for a certain you know I had to go back in my history of my time my life of why I was always the nurturing mother and it's how I was raised and my relationship I had with my mom and so I was taught there's a lot of misconceptions that people think about oh in a year you're going to be better or go on vacation and you're going to be better or it takes time well you know if you have a flat tire and you just sit in a chair, do you think that flat tire is gonna just reinflate itself? It doesn't take time, it's your own method. So I learned a lot of new things because I was saying the wrong things to people too. You know, be strong, okay, stay busy. You'll feel he's in a better place. Oh, he did more in his 16 years and people done in their 80 years. I don't wanna hear that, you know? I, I, I go off on people now. <laughs> I don't even care. I don't wanna hear that. If you lost your child, would you be in a better place? Oh, I can't imagine. Well, don't try to imagine it for me. So I haven't been back to work. 
since that day I ran out of there. I have, I don't want to build buildings anymore. I don't want to work with architects. I want to help rebuild some kids' lives. Because I realize now that I didn't know before that these kids are struggling. They may have all the things. They may be highly resourced. They may be underserved. underserved. Everybody got something. And everybody has a story. So my mission in life is to try to help some other kids. And that way, I feel that that's just in working through me. We were traveling on a pretty smooth road there. I thought we had it all. Perfect family, perfect son. And then all of a sudden, the road got very rocky. Losing Justin was the most difficult thing in my life that I had to experience. The proudest moment of my life was being in that delivery room, seeing him born. The happiest day of my life. <sighs> Raising him to be a good person, as we both were taught by our parents, you know, was, was an honor. It was a thrill. And to see him respond to it, I mean, we had our conflicts, yeah, but they were typical. And just a basic conversation would smooth that out. Um, Susan and I both attended grief groups, but for some reason it didn't work for me. Uh, we do talk to professional, professional now and it helps, but I'm more of an internalized person. I will internalize everything, and I know that's not good. Um, but that's who I am. I, uh, right now, have been putting this garden together out in the yard. Um, and I'm doing everything to the yard that Justin and I talked about doing. A lot of rocks in the yard, just rocks, boulders everywhere. So I cemented them together and made an archway with a plant growing over the top of it. Um, Justin wanted me to plant fruit trees because he says, Dad, if we're going to have a tree, I might as well bear fruit so we can eat it. I'm like, yeah. And a very interesting thing, just not too terribly long before he passed away, he asked me, Dad, take that other tree out because you need to put a fruit tree there. And I said, well, you're gonna help me dig that other tree out. And digging a tree out, it's not very easy. And he really didn't say anything. I said, okay, one of these days when I have time, well, I took the tree out and I planted a tree, a peach tree and it bears, bears fruit. And um, that's my way of coping when I know I'm doing something to honor Justin and to remember Justin by. It helps me get through my day a little bit better. When I don't do anything, I'm depressed. You know, I have a million pictures of Justin. I'm a photographer. And I look back on those pictures and I, I cry. And that's a blessing that we have so many pictures. I used to get mad because we moved to Florida when Justin was four months old when I worked for Universal Studios. And there was like every month on Justin's day of birth, we had to take a picture so we could send back home. I'm like, oh my God, not again, stage in a picture. But every picture tells a story and we have thousands of them. 
We have videos of them. And so it's going to be a lot of people. I'll, I'll post, post something on Facebook where I write stories. I write a lot now about things that have happened since Justin died. They're all like, are they coincidences or things? And I have pictures that go with everything. So it's because of Daryl, we have all these pictures. And Justin turned out to be a good photographer too because they went on trips together yeah. and he taught them how to take pictures. So Justin was the picture man too. So that's we, a blessing. We, I took him on one of my field trips with my students. We went to Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, and Hawaii. And he had a ball. Yeah, we took pictures. I mean, it was like we just be bonded like this, like crazy. Dad, how do you do this, Dad? And I loved it. Ah, here's how you do this, you know. And, and to see his results, he just, you know, I just saw him just beam. Um, Justin, very mature for his age. I prepared Justin for this life that he was going to face as a black man. I said, it's not going to be easy for you simply because you are black. Things are going to be different. So I would throw curveballs at him every now and then just to see how he would handle the pressure. We always ate dinner together at the table and he was four years old. And I said, okay, Justin, your turn to bless the dinner table. We had never done that one before. I would bless it to Susan, but he was four. So he says, okay, daddy. And I went, oh, he's going to tackle this. I thought I was going to get, oh, no, dad. I, no, I don't want to say it. So he, we bowed our heads, folded our hands, and he says, God bless Papa, which is Susan's dad. God bless Mommy and Daddy, my cousins. Named everybody by first name. We have a big family. Food got cold, but we... <laughs> We didn't interrupt his blessing. And at the end of the blessing, he said, and God help us achieve world peace. And that knocked my socks off. I couldn't believe, I said, what did he say? And he was really serious about it because after Justin passed, uh, we found a note that he had written Santa Claus that he left under the tree. And it said, dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is world peace. And we said, my gosh. So our foundation is Justin Carbone's World Peace. And Justin, um, later, uh, 15 years old, he came home one day and he joined the BLACC, which is the Black Leadership and Culture Club. And he was a little upset because he said, a lot of the kids on campus laugh at us. And I said, well, why? He says, well, they said all we do is play rap music and we don't do anything. And I said, is it true? He hesitated and he says, well, uh, kinda. I said, well, then you deserve to be laughed at. And I knew that I would put a fire on him to do something real positive. And it did. He went to a school that did not have an art program that was kind of underserved. And, and he asked the lady there in charge of the program, I would like to bring my BLACC club members down here and help you tutor the kids in math and we'll do art. And uh, <laughs> Mrs. Wallace just nearly fell on her face when she heard that. She said, who are you coming in? You know, it's, so, so he started that. And I'm continuing it now today. We just, uh, this is our third year, I think. Fourth, this is our fourth year. 
Justin started it. Mm -hmm. So this is a fourth year of us doing it. And the kids from the BLACC club from Harvard Westlake help us. They volunteer on Saturdays and they tutor the kids math. We do art. We expanded the curriculum to dance and I'm doing some photography with the kids. So we're, we're hoping to continue to expand that curriculum all in honor of Justin because it was his idea. It was his uh, vision. And I said, what better way to honor your son that did something so positive like that than to keep it going? So I have other friends of mine that are teachers that are retiring soon and says, I'll help you. So we would like to one day get our own building and do this every day rather than just on Saturday. And it's not just the, uh, it was, the name of the group is BLACC, but Justin wanted it open to everybody. Yeah. So the next year after Justin passed, they had a, a white kid that was a leader. They had met, all different nationalities are part of this group. And so they're looking, looked at a lot differently. And he just wanted to make a difference and to help other kids. He always wanted to help. He was always helping someone if someone was didn't have a lunch, he'd say, Mom, make that kid a lunch. If someone was not playing with any kid, he'd try to include them in their circle. And what we learned is he always smiled and always had this beautiful smile to everybody. And so, yeah, he had all these ideas of what he wanted to do. And that's what we're trying to do, like Daryl said, is to carry out Justin's dream. Well, Justin always wanted to promote positive black culture. Mm -hmm. He said, too much of the negative we see on TV. He says, Dad, we got to let people know what we're really all about. And boy, he really single-handedly did a lot at his campus to show that. He made posters and he put them up single-handedly around the school about Black Culture Week. And I, it just made me proud. And I'm still proud of it. And we will even at, now, today, go on a campus and speak to the kids about that. And so, yeah, we're gonna make sure that that, that continues to flow. Daryl pretty much runs the um, Saturday art program. Um, I'm just doing some writing right now and trying to just get through each day. But, you know, here to support Daryl and the rest of the teachers and the students that come out. Oh, I wanted to read a poem that Justin wrote on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, it's in a book called Stolen Cutters. You want to get it, Daryl? We didn't see this until a few months after Justin died, but this is his art piece that he did. And it was just something he did while he was waiting to perform backstage for Oklahoma. Wow. And he sat, they said he started it. And he brought it home and it didn't have the sunset. And he said, I said, Justin, what is this? He goes, oh, I'm just working on it. And he went downstairs to his room. He came back and he had this sun. I go, what is this? He said, I said, what does this mean? He goes, you could be happy that the sun comes up or happy that the sun goes down. And he was supposed to describe himself for his first day in English class in six words. And he said, darkest in water, brightest on stage. So that's who Justin was. His favorite stroke in swimming was the butterfly. Well, he wrote this poem that we didn't see until after he died. It was for homework, so we never saw his homework. Mm -hmm. And he titled it, Theme for English Three after Langston Hughes. The instructor said, quote, go home and write a page tonight and let that page come out of you, then it will be true. I am an only child, not one of three, just me. I go to a school where I feel like a fly in a bowl of milk, alone, walking down halls where I'm one of three or at least one of the few with dark skin like me. 
The kinks in my hair and the dark skin I wear connects me to the trailblazers who struggle to clear paths in, in order to make my journey easier. As I walk through the white halls with the white walls, I see the footsteps of Martin and Malcolm and Coretta before me. Their pain and suffering endured just so I can be me, free. In my classroom, I don't sit in the back waiting to be called on because the sea of seats are all available to me. It's hard for me to imagine being stationed in the back just like my mother and father were where they couldn't even see that they were lacking opportunity. I turn on the TV to see faces with brown tones sing through microphones, not of yesterday's sorrows as the wounds have healed, leaving scars of remembrance. Then I look back at me and what do I see? Not a rapper or a ball player, but a boy with dreams, goals, promise, opportunity. He wrote that for homework. 16 years old. What else are the two of you, if anything, looking forward to in terms of your partnership and the rest of your lives together? You know, it's, it changes when you, the thing that, you know, when you, when you go to the doctor's office or you go somewhere and they list your name and address and how many kids you have, that kind of stuff throws me because like, you have to think for a minute. Well, even when I was providing you with the information, it threw me off because it's like, it asks when your child was born, but it doesn't say when your child died. So that threw me off. So we, we were working for Justin to provide for him a better life. And now that there's no Justin, it's not that I don't want to work, but my interests have changed. And so also thinking about when you get older, you know, we took care of our parents and we supported them as they got older. And I cried thinking, who's gonna take care of us? You know, Justin was that kind of kid who was very accommodating and helpful. And he did his, you know, in loving and loved to kiss and hug us and loved his grandparents and took, you know, if he could, he would take care of them. So that for me is like, you know, you, you grow old, there's a lot of hopes and dreams that we had as a family. When we got married, we have this son, we raised this son, he's supposed to go off to college, find that girl, get married, have grandkids, and be there for us as a family. And then that was a shut, stop, poof, without any warning. We look at each other and we, we're like, it's just us, you know? We have to, you know, reconsider our whole lives now. Yes, we have an extended family. We have nieces and nephews and kids, you know, so we have to live through other people now. We still love kids. We love Justin's friends. We want to know how they are. You know, they invite us places. Sometimes in the first few years, it was hard to go places and to see families. It still is. And see that those kids say, hey, mom, that word that no yeah. one's going to call me, mom, it hurts. So... You know, we have to, you know, just continue to embrace the people that we know and the kids that we know and let them be a part of their their, um, their lives, you know, because it was just, it was, it was way too soon. It's hard coming home. We used to have dinner, like Daryl mentioned, every night. I don't even want to sit at the dining room table. You know, we had routine. We had routine every night. Get your stuff ready for school, breakfast, you know, on the road, lunch. I packed for both of them. I, it was hard making that first sandwich after Justin died. 
Yeah. And then dinner, we always had dinner at that table. We each had a chair. It's changed, you know? So things that we used to love to do, Justin loved the theater. We had season tickets to everything. I don't wanna go. So we've changed, there's restaurants that I know Daryl would love to go to. Like he mentioned, our first date was Thai food. Justin's fa favorite food was Thai food. I can't have Thai food. It's just something that there's so many, so many things that were normal in our day that can't because it brings back too many memories. So we've redirected. Re now instead of Thai food, we'll have Indian food. I just can't do it at this moment. Maybe in time I'll change, but it's too close to Justin. So we've changed and then he's very, been very accommodating. I know he wants Thai food. I was like, where do you want to go? I know he wants to go to a certain restaurant. He knows I'm not going. I'll say, nope, can't do it. So we've kind of redirected the things that we want to do. And going on that first trip out of town without Justin was hard. Yeah. We had that perfect life. We really did. It was, it was wonderful. But every day is about as painful as you can possibly imagine. I will sometimes have a problem when I see a father and son. So trying to find that peace in my heart. I don't know where it is. I'm looking. It's hard, but you know, we, we Daryl says we're all we have. And without us, we wouldn't have made Justin. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't have had this. And I know there's a lot of our friends that don't have kids, who aren't in relationships. So in one instance, we're just elated and blessed that we had Justin in our life. And then the other one, we feel like we've been robbed and ripped off. Like, why do we take this really great kid that was so promised? And people always ask, what do you think he, where do you think he would have gotten to school? Wherever he wanted. What do you think he would be doing? Whatever he wanted to do. And enjoying it and all embrace. And that stuff was just like, Phew. Yeah, God. Justin was a National Merit Scholar. Yeah, butterfly yeah. swimmer. Keep the hardest stroke. Didn't even try. Everything came easy. Easy. To easy. People thought we had. Their kids were like, "Do you have an art studio at your house? Does he have singing lessons?" No. How about no? How about he never had any training? Voice, art, theater. Never heard him do a line. He might not have had the biggest part, but he had the most memorable in everything he was in. Did you hear him practice? Never. So to have, you know, he paint, he picked the, the paint color of our house. He did history. This is Spanish and you need to have this kind of color. He was all in it. The house I grew up in in San Francisco, it was moved there. My parents moved it when they were building the freeway. Now, Justin said this house was a corner house before. Okay, Justin, how do you know that? He could tell. Well, you see the side, he just knew. Look at the floors, mom. This room was added on because look at the, the wood, the mahogany and the wood floor. He knew. He loved that it was in him. So we were blessed. People say, are you going to move? You're going to change? No, for what? This is us. This is Justin. Well, you know, how do we support each other? I give Susan all the space. I just, I, I, I try not to hassle with her because I'm feeling the pain every day too, and I know she's feeling it extremely, extremely hard. I'm a very patient person, and I hope that it helps, Susan, that I don't bug you, that I try not to argue with you, that 
everyone has to grieve their own way. And um, sometimes I can't be in this house. I go. I'll go do some work somewhere and uh, come home. And then maybe I'm tired enough to where I could just take a shower, go to bed, and wake up the next day and see what that day brings. And it's going to bring a whole lot of pain my way. And I'm going to feel it every day. But I'll go out in that little garden and I'll sit there and I'll think about it. And that kind of helps. Kind of helps a little bit. You know, people always ask, because they say there's the, the percentage of couples who break up after you have a tragedy. And I get it all the time every week. How are you going to do it? You know, and I said, you know, we're grieving in our own way. But our relationship is still strong. I'm not leaving, Daryl. We're not going to get a divorce. This is hard, though. You know, and women and men are different. You know, being a mother and a father are different. We had our different relationships with Justin. And I know I've seen it. I've seen other people that I've met, their relationships with Sour. You know, but like Daryl, he does give me my space and, you know, I can't, it took me um, over two years ago back to the grocery store. Can you go, imagine going from Susie Homemaker, cooking three gourmet meals a day, to not like one thing, I couldn't even step in a grocery store, let alone cook, because it, just, it brought me to my knees. So we were blessed to have a community helping us and we have Tupperware to prove people were bringing us food. I couldn't do it. So I can't really make the things that I used to make for Daryl, Justin, and I. It's changed tremendously on our pattern of how we eat around here because a lot, it is still painful, but I am cooking and I am trying, you know, because we still have each other and we have to live. And I think I, we already know Justin always wanted us, you know, to be happy. Mom, make sure you do this. So there's that in the back of our head, mm -hmm. but it's still hard. I tell you, like he said, when it's all said and done, you can smile and be out. And I don't put on any Academy Award acts for anybody. What you see is what you get in here. You come back home, it's hard. You know, when I get in my car, it's hard. I just need to get in my car every, every morning. It's hard, but we do laugh and we're, you know, getting out a little bit more. We'll never be the same. You know, we want Justin, we speak about Justin all the time. Some people can't say their kids' names. I say it every day. It brings new meaning to reinventing yourself. Mm -hmm. I had a very difficult task because I had planned to retire that year in 2013. And I just needed to finish the school year. February, Justin dies. And after the funeral services and everything, I had to go back to work. I taught and I'm teaching kids that are very close to Justin's age. And I had to sit up there in front of that classroom and try to lecture. It took everything I had in my soul to think about the lesson and deliver it correctly because my mind kept going, thinking about Justin. I did it. I retired. But my retirement doesn't mean anything to me, not at all. I retired because I wanted to see all of his swim meets his senior year because 
all of his swim meets were like on the west side of Los Angeles and I'm coming from Glendora all the way across town and my class let out at 4.30 and I just would get there maybe I would see him in one race, maybe. So I said, I'm gonna retire, I'm gonna be there. And uh, boy, I said, so why did this happen to us? I, I, I still ask that question, why? And I'm not gonna get an answer. Well, there's one thing I would like to say, and I've been in that position where someone lost someone and you just don't know what to say to them. Now, people don't know what to say to us. And I say, you know, just say hello. Yeah, like I don't know what to say. You don't have to mention Justin, just say hello. Don't walk past me. And that's happened before. Mm -hmm. I'm walking the neighborhood and people walk past me and I know them and they don't say anything. I'm going, wow, I don't have a disease, you know, but I understand their pain. I really do. Um, we're still Susan and Daryl. And we, we talk and we might cry a little bit, but if you just say hello, that lets us know that you care enough to say hello. Just don't completely let us go. We need you just as much as you might need us. There was a lady last night at the event we were at and Justin's friend, Sophie, who goes to USC. And she says, I think about Justin, you know, as I said, walking the campus and she goes, that's, Mia's mom and Mia, I don't, I met her, but she was in Justin's class, but she called the house that night. Hi, Ms. we're looking for Justin, because she had heard, and her mom was there, and I'd never met her mother, and I said, hi, I'm Justin's mom, and she just froze, and she says, she knows to say it, but she goes, how are you? And I, she goes, that's a night we'll never forget. And I, and I said, how's your daughter doing? give her a hug. And the lady just, she just is like, it just, it was a game changer. And that's what's happened. It was a game changer for Daryl and I. And we're just understanding how to play this new life that we've been presented with Justin close to our heart.